So I put on Facebook this week, uh, you know you got a good sermon series going when you can't wait to sit down and type it. And as soon as I sent, put that on, I thought, whoa, that really raises expectations. Because <laughs> people are like, I want to hear that good one. That would be great if Pastor Steve does a good sermon for a change. That will be fun. Uh, the reason I put that there is because um, my least favorite part of sermonizing is writing it down. And I have to write it down because if I don't, well, it makes Laurel really nervous when I go off script, you know. And uh, so I always write it down. I don't always follow what I wrote down, but I write it down. And uh, yet, it was a joy to write this sermon. I'm so excited to put it down. And I'm, I'm just so excited to share it with you. It's a little bit heavy in spots. Um, and it's a little maybe theological in spots. Um, but I think it's really valuable to you. Something we do at Kerbinsville Alliance is we use the Version Bible app. So if you have that on your phone, then you can open that up. Or if you're at home, you have it on your tablet. Open the Version Bible app and look for an event in our zip code, 16833. Uh, look for an event nearby. And you can follow along that way. It's a great way to have all the scripture right in front of you. Especially if you're online, it's really hard to see that screen. I will be reading that scripture as well. My wife and I were sitting outside with uh, my daughter and her family, and those went over just here a couple weeks ago. Those are Canadian wild geese, right? And they're flying over, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. They fly over in the spring and in the fall, and here it is mid-June. Ah, it's 2020. Uh, Yeah, nothing's working right this year, so even the geese are confused, right? You know, they fly in that formation, in that V formation. And that's something that, uh, for a long time, it kind of confused people, like, what's going on? Why why are they doing that? Um, But scientists have learned that what they're doing there, and you know this, what they're doing there is they're catching a draft from the guy in front of them. In fact, uh, there was a paper written in the 70s, and it still stands, that says that a flock of 25 geese, if they're flying in that pattern, can gain more than 70% extra mileage than they would. So if a goose by itself could go 100 miles, if he has 24 other ones with them and they fly that way and they take turns leading, that moves to 170 miles they can cover. And I think to myself, how did they figure that out? <laughs> how did they learn that, you know? Like did the mama goose, you see what I did there? Did mother goose sit down and say, now when you get bigger, you're going to have to fly and you're going to have to do it this way? I don't know. I don't think she did that. Did 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 God write it into their DNA? Quite possibly. I'll go for that. Another theory is that they happen to be flying and one of them noticed, hey, you know what? When I'm like at seven o'clock off of this guy and I'm this way, it's smoother. Just like when you were a kid, you know there were two ways to get from your house to your buddy's house on your bicycle, but one of them was smooth and a nice downhill grade and the other one was all over the place, up and down and bumpy and everything else. You were smart enough to take the easy course. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. But here's what I know. I know that geese have sensed this pattern that they follow that makes their journey easier. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about patterns that make our journey easier. Maybe they make it hard sometimes, but they make it more rewarding. And these patterns are found in God. He, by his very nature, exhibits these particular characteristics, these patterns. For example, last week we talked about his pattern of recreation and renewal, how he takes he takes things that are dust and he makes them alive and living. And he takes lives that are broken and he renews them and restores them. And that benefits us in two ways. Number one, we are renewed by his spirit through the blood of Christ. And number two, we can look at that pattern and say, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be an agent of renewal. I'd like to be someone who recreates like God does. 
And he invites us to join him in that. What we're going to talk about today is this pattern of being the judge who pardons and justifies. I'm going to show you this in God's nature, in his very being. But before I talk about it in him, I would kind of like to talk about it in society. I want to talk to you about our culture, our society's tendencies, our pattern in judgment. And these are generalizations. If you're wanting to, you can say, well, not always, Pastor Steve, and you'd be right. These are just generalizations, but if you're looking around with eyes that can see, you'll, you'll see these characteristics in society probably more often than you would hope. They're not good things. Often, our society's pattern of judgment is that we are hot-headed, but we're cold-hearted. Let me kind of unpack that for a minute. You know what hot-headed means. It means rash, quick to anger, ready to go, hair-trigger temper, you know, that kind of thing. And we've all made judgments in the heat of the moment and live to regret them. Remember that girl that you broke up with because she forgot your birthday? Hmm. Wow. What would your life be now if you were with her? If you're married, don't answer that. Okay. A rash judgment can end a relationship, right? In the heat of the moment. Or slamming the door when you walk out. That's a rash judgment done in the heat of the moment, and now I'm going to have to rebuild that door frame. Right? Or... Looking at your cell phone bill and saying, I am sick of paying this, and calling them and saying, cancel my service, only to realize that's the only cell phone company that has service where you live. What was I thinking? It was a rash judgment done in the heat of the moment. We all do it. Napoleon did it. Napoleon Bonaparte made the rash judgment when he chose to invade Russia. I am no historian, but I find this just amusing because of how history repeats itself. What Napoleon was doing was he was trying to punish the British and the way he was doing it was with a trade embargo. And so he said to everybody, don't trade with Great Britain. And Russia wasn't going to play ball. <laughs> Surprise, right? If you watch today's politics, you know, Russia never plays ball. They've been doing it since the time of Napoleon. And that made Bonaparte mad. And so Bonaparte said, I am going to go in and teach Russia a lesson. And History.com says it was a disastrous decision. But he made it rashly. He made it in anger. He made a judgment. Hot-headedly, if that's a word. Hot-headed judgment. We've all seen it. We've all done it. The Bible warns against it in places like James 1.19, where James says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that is just the exact opposite of hot-headedness. Just the exact opposite of being rash is what James is telling us to be. But even though our judgment can be hot-headed, it can also be cold. Cold-hearted, without feeling, without compassion, void of love, void of tenderness, and even indifferent toward other people. I find this in a parable that Jesus told. Jesus tells the parable of the unjust judge. And that's interesting because we're talking about the judge who, who pardons and justifies. This guy is not that guy. And Jesus' parable was about the, the, the benefit of praying without ceasing. But along the way, he gives us a picture of what being cold-hearted looks like. In Luke chapter 2, or 18 rather, starting at verse 2, he says there was a certain judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. For there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think of me, yet... Because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will see to it that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So he gave her justice. But it was cold-hearted. It wasn't that she looked at her and said, she's a widow. She has no one to care for her. I'll help her. It wasn't that he said, there's no one else to look out for this person and what's being done to her is wrong and it needs to be corrected. It's just cold indifference toward her need and only concern for his own need. His judgment characterizes society throughout history. There's a pattern of society that's hot-headed and cold-hearted in judgment. And this world's judgment is also sometimes well-ordered, but unpredictable, even unreliable. I want you to think for a minute of any time you've been involved in judicial affairs. Maybe it was in, you know, the junior high student council, or maybe in the student senate at college, or maybe even the guy with the gavel and the robe, you know, maybe it was even in a courtroom. Any of those situations, you know this reality, there's always a potential to be surprised. I mean, it can be an open and shut case, right? And it's like, how in the world did our judicial system come up with that as an answer? And it leaves you to scratch your head. Our judicial system is very well-ordered, but it is very unpredictable. When I say it's well-ordered, I say think of the things you need to do just to get permission to stand in front of that judge and present your case and how well-ordered your case needs to be. And yet, jumping through those hoops does not guarantee a just outcome because there's no sure thing. Now, listen, I believe that our court system is doing the best it can. And I don't have a better idea than our judicial system. I'm not knocking it. I'm thankful for the men and women who who serve there with justice in their heart. But there is clear evidence that despite our best efforts, human society creates judicial systems that are well-ordered but unpredictable. And the Bible speaks a little bit of this. In Isaiah 10, it says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees. Woe to those who deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Society's justice follows a pattern. It's well organized, but it's unstable. Third, the pattern of society's justice or judgment is that it's constantly consuming, but it's never satisfied. Now, I'm not talking about our court system. Let's leave that behind. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about people you know. Let's talk about that friend you bump into at Walmart uh, pretty regularly and visit there. Let's talk about people on social media. Let's talk about people in your neighborhood. Let's talk about the people you work with, the guy that you ride with uh, when you go back and forth to work or whatever. Talk about those people. And, and it seems to me that we have this perpetual need to judge things, to give our opinions about things. Constantly evaluating food, evaluating restaurants, evaluating venues, evaluating cultures, evaluating people, judging policies, judging teachers, judging music, judging films, judging children, judging ministries, judging friendships. We have this perpetual need to tell our opinion, and our opinion is always laced with judgment. We're judging. Don't you kind of pity anyone who is in leadership right now? I mean, I really do. I mean, think how vicious you have noted some people being, because I'm sure none of us <laughs> have been this way, how vicious you've seen people being about school closings. I can't believe they're closing school. Can you believe that? When I was a kid, did you know this? When I was a kid, there could be three feet of snow, and we walked 10 miles back and forth to school, uphill both ways. And these kids today, what they're doing, they're making kids soft. That's what they're doing. 
I'm going to judge the superintendent. I'm going to judge the bus company, the bus drivers. I'm going to judge the teachers. I'm going to judge them all. Yeah. That is characteristic of our society. Constantly, constantly judging, never being satisfied with the judgment we give. It is almost as though America's pastime has become judging. I guess it's because we don't have baseball. But this pastime actually predates baseball. And we're never done. Never sit down at the end of the day and say, well, I've had my fill of judging. We just keep on going. Now, that's our society's pattern in judging. I want to contrast that to God's pattern. The pattern of one who pardons and who justifies. But before I move forward, I need to say this to you. I am not talking right now about the final judgment. I'm talking about God's judgment in our life daily as we go along. Talking about God's judgment in our life from an eternal perspective as individuals. I'm not talking about the end of days. There is a judgment coming (laughs) that, that will be something that no one wants to see. It will have a unique pattern, not the pattern I'm going to present here in a moment. And if you tuned in in the past several months when we were moving through the book of Revelation, you know what that judgment is going to be like. We covered what that judgment is going to be like. That judgment is portrayed as, well, just listen, in Revelation 20. Oh, look, it's off the bottom of the screen. That just breaks my heart. You'll have to just trust me while I read it. Revelation 20 verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and heaven fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Listen, if the earth and sky are pictured as running away like a little kitten being chased by a pit bull, you know that pit bull, you know that judgment is horrendous. That's not the kind of judgment I'm talking about. In fact, I want to suggest to you that God's pattern of judgment is to avoid that horrendous judgment almost at any cost. Even the cost of His Son. So that judgment doesn't have to happen. Jesus paid that price. He took that judgment. And because of that, He says, the Father judges no one but entrusted all judgment to the Son, to God in the flesh. He's the judge. One more passage before we move into looking at this pattern. And it's a passage that is kind of odd. You wouldn't think that this passage, these words would be there. It's in Genesis chapter 18, and God is on his way to take a look at Sodom and Gomorrah, to see the things that are happening there firsthand. And he happens to pass by his friend's tent, Abraham. And in the midst of that discussion, in their discourse, Abraham makes a very powerful statement regarding God's pattern of judgment. And he says this, will not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question. And rhetorical questions, you know the answer to it. It's like, of course he will do right. He's God. In fact, this God who pardons and justifies is the righteous judge. That means he's just. Psalm chapter 8 verse 9 says, or 9 verse 8 rather, says he rules the world in righteousness and he judges the peoples with equality. There's no partiality with him. There's no unfairness with him. There's no bias with him. He's judging in a just way. 
And he's lawful as well. He's not like doing it as per what he thinks. He's doing it as per what he thinks because what he thinks is lawful. There is only one lawgiver and judge, James says, the one who is able to save and destroy. The judge who pardons and justifies is the righteous judge, and he is the reluctant judge as well. God has this pattern of reluctance in judging, like he doesn't want to do it. Don't believe me? Ask Jonah. Jonah is is called by God to go and tell the people in Nineveh, the Lord is going to judge you with his wrath if you don't repent. And I used to think when I was a little boy that Jonah didn't want to go there because people would reject him. That's a hard message. Who wants to tell people that? I don't want to tell people that. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go. And Jonah instead gets on a boat and goes to Tarshish. That's where I'm going. I am not going to Nineveh. But Jonah tells us at the end of the story the real reason that he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And it has to do with God's reluctance in judging. Chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah prays to the Lord and says, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Hmm. He's reluctant to judge. There is, and hear this phrase, I'm going to use it again. There is a beautiful tension in God's nature. And it's not a problem for him. It is part of his perfection. It is part of his beauty. God is just. And so he will execute judgment. And God is love. And so he's not in love with executing judgment. God speaks of this pattern throughout Scripture. You can find it twice in Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, God says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? And then nine verses later, He says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent and live. He's reluctant to judge. He's never hungry to condemn. His pattern is to pardon and justify. And third, God is a patient judge. Sometimes I wish he wasn't quite so patient. Sometimes I'm a little bit like the disciples who, do you remember the disciples said, Jesus, let's call fire down on them and destroy them. That would be fun. Let's do that. Sometimes I'm like that when I see injustice in society. But I'm never like that when I'm looking in the mirror. (laughs) I love God's patience. I love the words of Peter who says, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some consider slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the kind of judge I want to stand before. I want to stand before a judge who says, do you need a second chance, Steve? I want to stand before a judge who says, let's try to get this right. I think you can. I want to stand before a judge who isn't looking at the clock saying, man, I got a tea time at 4 o'clock. We need to get this over with. Can we just judge this guy and move forward? I want the patient judge. And that is God's pattern of judgment. And fourth, God is a compassionate judge. Standing before you, pictured before you there on the screen, is a Scotsman. So we have two Scotsmen on the platform right now. The gentleman's name is James Montgomery. He was born in 1771 and he died in 1854. Kind of give you his spot in history there. You may or may not know one of his songs. 
he actually didn't write the melody to it, but he wrote the words to it. The name of the song is, Oh, Bless the Lord, Oh, My Soul. And if you're old enough, you remember a Broadway musical that said, Oh, bless the Lord, my soul. Do you remember that? Yeah. My favorite line in that song, since I was in high school and went to see that musical every time because those things will get you out of classes like nothing else, you know? Grove City's doing a musical. Sign me up, man. I'm ready, right? My favorite line in that song was concerning God's wrath where Montgomery says, His wrath is ever slow to rise and ready to abate. That means He is slow to anger and He's always ready to back off His wrath because He's compassionate. He's loving. He understands you. The psalmist says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call you. He's a compassionate judge. That is His pattern when He pardons and justifies. So how does God pull this off? I said to you earlier that there's a phrase that you need to hear. Beautiful tension. Beautiful tension. We think of tension as a bad thing. We almost always think of tension only in relationships. Wow, there's a lot of tension between me and my sister-in-law or something like that, you'll say, right? But that's not how I'm using the word tension here. In the engineering world, tension is not just an essential thing. It is a beautiful thing. It's what makes bridges work. For example, if you look at a bridge, you'll often see that it has a sort of a curve to it, that it kind of goes like this as you're traveling over it. And what's happening is anticipating the force of gravity pushing down on a truck as it goes across that, the engineers have built into the bridge tension that will push back up through that arch to maintain the structure and to allow the bridge to carry the traffic safety. If you take a course on statics, statics and dynamics, you'll understand that about tension. Here's another place you've seen that kind of tension, and it is when you're going down the road and you see an 18-wheeler on Interstate 80, right? And as you see that 18-wheeler, you notice that it has a flatbed. It has kind of an arc to it when it's empty. Have you noticed that? It's like a bow to it, right? That's because they're providing tension that when weight gets on it, it will not collapse. The tension will hold it in place. Tension is not a bad thing. Lack of tension is a bad thing. I don't want to go across a bridge on Interstate 80 that's going down like this and up the other side. I've seen those in the jungle. I don't even want to walk across those things, right? I want the tension. And if you've ever been maybe taking a walk in the hills of Appalachia, you might have come across a 57 Dodge pickup truck that the tension is gone in that thing. And the the front end of it comes down to the middle and the back end goes back up. The tension is gone. I've seen those traveling down the streets of Kerbinsville. Right? Yeah. Tension is a beautiful thing to designers. With that in mind, listen to this sentence. There is a beautiful tension inherent in the one who is perfectly just and perfectly loving that finds its fullest expression in the cross of Christ. That's good. I don't care who wrote that. That's good. Listen to it again. There is a beautiful tension inherent in the one who is perfectly just and perfectly loving that finds its fullest expression in the cross of Christ. Tension finds its glory in the cross. You see, because of the cross, God can be the righteous judge who pardons and justifies. He doesn't have to cheat to find you forgiveness. He does it righteously. 
Occasionally, someone will say something like this. I know you've heard it. You probably even have said it at one point in your life. If God is all loving, then I can't understand how He would judge anybody. But as you mature and as you think about it, you realize you don't want a judge like that. You do not want a judge who lets evil go unchecked. You do not want a judge who lets evil have the last word. You do not want a judge who allows evil to move forward throughout eternity with never having to pay the piper. You don't want that. When you see evil around you, there's something inside you that says, that needs to be taken care of. That needs to be judged. (laughs) It would be wrong. It would be unloving not to judge evil. And God judges evil. And He shows love. His perfect tension is at work. You see, He judges evil at the cross. And therefore, God acknowledges the heinous nature of the world's sins. And there at the cross, He punished that evil in His own sacrifice of Himself in Jesus. And sin, having been punished, died so that those who trust in Christ can turn from their sin and be pardoned and justified. You see, while Christ was judging sin as He hung on the cross there, taking that judgment, He was pardoning you and me. He was justifying you and me. He was making it possible for us to be declared not guilty. And that's what justification is. And when we turn to Him in repentance and faith, we are pardoned and justified by the righteous judge. The cross is really the perfect pattern for the judge who would pardon and justify. Because of the cross, God can be the reluctant judge, the reluctant judge who pardons and justifies. Because were it not for the cross, God's only option would be to judge our sin. That would be the only option that He could do. And we would stand before Him rightly condemned, but only for a moment, because then we would pay the price. But in the cross, God gives Himself the prerogative of setting our punishment, my punishment, your punishment. He gives Himself the prerogative of setting that punishment on the shoulders of Christ. And that's exactly what He does. Jesus' greatest pain at the cross was not the nails. It was not hanging there, lifting Himself up. It was not the betrayal of Judas. It was not the denial from Peter. Jesus' greatest pain on the cross was what He carried on His back. The guilt and the shame of humankind. And because He did so, He can be reluctant in in punishing us. Because of the cross, the justice is satisfied. And when we turn to Him in repentance and faith, we are pardoned and justified by the reluctant judge. The cross is a perfect expression, the perfect pattern of the judge who would pardon and justify. And because of the cross, God can be the compassionate judge who pardons and justifies. He can treat you with compassion because your debt was paid at the cross. The violation is taken care of at the cross. Because of the cross, He can pardon our sins. And when you turn to Him in repentance and faith, this compassionate judge can declare you not guilty because He took the guilt at the cross. And the cross is a perfect pattern for the judge who would pardon and justify. This 
is a pattern. This is a pattern. The righteous judge, the reluctant judge, the compassionate judge seeks to pardon and justify us. And it is so beautiful. It is such a magnificent pattern. It is such a wonderful piece of art that is inherent in the very texture and nature of God that angels, Peter says, try to look at it and understand it, and they can't. They're like, this is too much for me to understand. This amazing, this amazing pattern in God. And this pattern is for us. That if you turn from your sin and you place your trust in Christ, you're pardoned and justified. Justified. And following Him, that just becomes natural to anyone who's been forgiven. And when you follow Him, you don't follow the pattern of this world. You don't follow that judgmental pattern that we spoke about. So you avoid being hot-headed and cold-hearted, and you keep your reactions from being unpredictable and unproductive, and you find satisfaction not in America's pastime of judging, but you find satisfaction in Christ's pastime of pardoning and justifying. And you follow the pattern of the judge by being fair, by being slow to judge, by being patient, by being compassionate. You know, there's a chance that as I've been speaking today, you've been kind of like, this is the first time this has really made sense to me. There's a chance that you even could have been going to church for a long time and not actually understood that what Jesus is doing on the cross is pardoning and justifying you as he judges your sin and takes care of that judgment. And you've heard this phrase that I've said several times about this beautiful tension that that if you turn from your sins and trust Jesus, you get the pardon and the justification as your own. And you may be thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure how to do that. How do I do that? And you do it just by talking to God. You do it just by talking to Him and acknowledging that you get it and you know you need it. And so you say to Him, God, I recognize I need to be pardoned. There's stuff in my life that I should be paying for. Evil. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing it. I believe, I trust that Jesus took that punishment when He died on the cross. I trust Him. And the Bible says when you talk to God that way, that He pardons you and He justifies you and His Spirit comes to live within you and He gives you a new start as a new creation. If you've never done that, talk to Him today. Maybe you did that long ago, though. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I did this a long time ago. Then I would say to you that your take-home from this is to take a look and see, are you judging with righteousness? Are you judging with reluctance? Are you judging with compassion? I know it's God's place to judge. But all of us treat people certain ways because of how we view them. And that's called judging. Is your tendency to judge more in keeping with the pattern of this world or has it been transformed by the renewing of your mind so it is in keeping with a God who is reluctant, patient, and compassionate? So as you come to the end of this message, ask God to make you more in line with His pattern and commit to doing so. Whichever camp you're in there, I want to pray for both of you as the worship team comes.
So let's unite our hearts in prayer. If you would like, you're welcome to stand. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we are so thankful for this tension. That you're not some kind of sissy God who just lets lets sin go and doesn't really care about it and can't do anything about it anyway. But that you will judge. In fact, you have judged at the cross. And yet, judgment is not your thing. That you are exactly what Jonah said. A God who is slow to anger, relenting from producing calamity. Because you love. We thank you for that. I pray for anyone who might be here or might be listening who has never really spoken to you concerning that. And in the quietness of their heart, God, I pray that their words would would touch your heart when they say, God, I know that I've sinned and I'm sorry for having done so. I recognize that I deserve judgment and that Jesus was taking that judgment on the cross. I trust that what He did covers for my sins. Thank You for relieving me of that burden of guilt. I will follow You. And when they do that, they would sense the presence of the Spirit in their life who is ever renewing them. I pray for all of us, God, that our, that our hearts would be renewed and we would not conform to the pattern of judgment of this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our, renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Praise you, Jesus.